0: Humans, hello, humans. Hello, humans. It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on lovely ADM 950. Hello, how are you? Oh, it's the last Saturday in January. Oh, my God. And we are inching. That's literally what it is inching. Day by day by day, where it's staying lighter, you know, longer, lighter, uh, lighter, longer, and where we're getting closer to bicycle riding weather come March. And I'm just, yes, okay, but you know, we still got a We still got a month and a half to go. So before we can even talk about spring, all right. So we've got a great show here. Um, other than the. Uh, you know, the seasonal forecast I just gave you. Um, the big interview is with a woman named Renee Grassi, who is a firecracker of an idealist and passionate about um, library access for all humans. And, and, and I know that may be something you've never even thought about, but it's actually quite important. And in my C block, I'm going to share about what's going on with transgender people. That would be my community in America. But let's begin quickly with a postscript from last week's show. Recall last week that our featured idealist was Amanda Gorman, Uh, boy that talk about firecracker, 22-year-old poet who read at the inauguration. Remember that? We even aired her her poem in its entirety, and I still get teary-eyed when I think about it. Did you uh, see um, that there were two other announcements about Amanda Gorman this week? One announcement was that she had been signed to a modeling of all things, a poet model, a modeling contract with a big name modeling agency. The second announcement was that for the first time ever, the Super Bowl will have a poetry reading and it will be by Amanda Gorman. I mean, my God, (laughs) I am – you know, I'm a writer, you know, poetry is not necessarily my genre, but I am so thrilled to see this idealist, Amanda Gorman, getting all of this rec- deserved recognition for her hard work. So, so right now, um, as we speak, Amanda Gorman is elevating poetry into an art form. It's always been art, but it's getting way cool to be a poet. And I look forward to seeing more young human poets and more from Amanda Gorman. Okay, now let's move on. You may recall that last week I gave you an Ellie Talking Head Show. Um, and those shows come about, frankly, um, because um, I can't book a guest. And so for me, they're always kind of like, well, you know, I guess we're going to I guess we're going to have to do an Ellie talking head show versus, oh, I want to do an Ellie talking head show. That's my first choice. It's never my first choice. But do you know, I mean, I did an Ellie talking head show in December and then I did one last weekend. Do you know those are the shows where people email me afterwards and say, I loved your show, Ellie. <laughs> I'm like, but I. But it's you know it's it's like you know it's like the B team and no Ellie I like that show and what um, both times when people have emailed me what they like is that during Ellie Talking Heads I share about humans I share stories of humans being good to other humans I think that we are just darn hungry for that stuff I think that we are darn hungry to be reminded of how good we can be to each other. So I thought for this week I'm going to share another story of humans being good to each other. And our story of human goodness comes from my old hometown of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And a Hy-Vee grocery store on Oakland uh, Road in in Cedar Rapids, that is a Hy-Vee store I used to shop at, and it's a story about a man named Sam – I think it's pronounced Hemmes, H-A-M-M-E-S, who um, I'm going to guess is in his um, maybe uh, early to mid-30s. was shopping for groceries at that Hy-Vee in Cedar Rapids one recent day, and he came up short um, by about 12 bucks. and he had forgotten his wallet at home. He had already borrowed some money from a co-worker because he had to go grocery shopping. And even with the borrowed money, um, he came up short by twelve dollars. Now Sam has a very good job, um, a white collar job, white collar job, and so it's just he just came up short, as sometimes people do. All right. At that point, so he's in the checkout lane, twelve dollars short, and he's like, "Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And at that point, the Hy-Vee cashier, a man named Peter uh, Monabucha. Mona Bucha is his name. And who I'm going to guess that Peter is in his late 40s or early 50s. At that point, the cashier Peter says, "Don't worry about it. I've got you covered." And the ca- and Peter goes from the cash register where he'd been ringing things up, you know, comes out, goes around to where the terminal um, is to pay where where Sam is standing. And Peter Mona Bucha pulls out his wallet puts in his bank card and makes up for the $12 shortfall and says, you know, okay. And at that point, um, Peter goes back to the cash register and just doing his job. For Sam, the customer, that small act of generosity was, according to Sam, in his own words, life-changing. It was so big for Sam that he did the thing that I've spoken about time and again and again. Sam went home. He, he decided he was going to do something good for Peter, the cashier. And so Sam launched a GoFundMe fundraiser for Peter Monabucha. And the goal was to raise $3,000 for Peter out of his generosity of giving Sam 12 bucks to raise $3,000. Well, I'm here to tell you, they blew past that. As of four hours ago, when I just checked uh, the GoFundMe page for this, a total of four thousand eight hundred and seventy-one dollars had been raised from two hundred and twenty-six donors, all because a man named Peter um, was willing to give a customer named Sam twelve bucks because he was short on his grocery bill, and once again, this this very simple thing reinforces what I say about 98% of all humans, that they have good empathetic hearts. I mean, 2% total sociopath, but the other 98% are good people. The problem is we're either not paying attention to exercise our hearts or we're scared to death. We're scared to death that we're going to get in over our head. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us money, whatever. And because we are afraid to exercise our empathetic hearts, we either intentionally ignore or we run away but you know what? The thing about GoFundMe is it gives people the opportunity to exercise those hearts from the privacy of their homes, you know, and, and, and at a time when the economy is so tight and all that, but you still have all of these people that are willing to give of their resources for another human because we have good empathetic hearts. Um, it's also clear that Peter Manabucha's country of birth was not the United States. And for all of the negative stereotypes of immigrants, um, this just flies in the face of those stereotypes. And most importantly, this is a story about how a stranger's small act of kindness caused Sam, that was the customer, to change his perspective. And here is how Sam explained it uh, because it was written up in the local paper. Here we go. Quote, this is what Sam is saying about this incident. Quote, the biggest thing is we live in a world right now where there's a lot of divisiveness. And if a complete stranger can pay for my groceries and complete strangers can donate back to a cause that they feel strongly about, I think people can put aside their differences. I can guarantee you the impact it had on me and my thought and my outlook on things is much greater than... Then he, referring to Peter, realizes, I hope it inspires people to do good things for people they don't know. Unquote. That quote about how one small act of kindness can cause another human to change their perspective is what my work is about. And so I am totally, totally um, gobsmocked over what Sam had to say about this minor, you know, 12 bucks. And I am so um, passionate about what Sam, the customer, wrote or said, I'm going to have him on the show next week. He's going to be my guest next week to talk about why he did this, why this thing happened. Why he went to the trouble of doing a GoFundMe page that's netted close to five thousand dollars for a man who just, you know, gave him twelve dollars. So, all right, you know, um, so you can go uh, check that out about the GoFundMe. It's um, the twelve dollar, the twelve. It's the twelve dollar challenge, or I think that's the name of it. um, GoFundMe for. Uh, and see you can see how it's changing okay when we come back from our break um, I will uh, talk to Renee Grassi about library access for all humans thanks I hope like, you like what you hear on this show I'm trying to make it interesting we'll be back in a second keep back
1: Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures BetterFuturesMinnesota.com.
0: Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now, I'm doing all of my work online, so Everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. And we're back on AM 950 with Ellie Krug, um, Ellie 2.0 Radio. All right. It's time now, uh, listeners, for the big interview. And I am thrilled, just absolutely thrilled, to introduce to you a woman named Renee Grassi, who is a librarian with the Dakota County Library System. But she is far more than that. Um, she is also a social media guru. And, but she's even more than that because she's on the show for purposes as an idealist. She is one of the leading voices in the country about library access for all humans, regardless of the challenges they may have, either physically or emotionally. And, um, and Renee, okay. I gave you that big introduction. Welcome to LE 2.0. How are you?
2: Was quite an introduction. I'm great. How are you, Ellie? It's just a thrill and an honor to talk with you today.
0: Uh, well, I'm just thrilled to have you. Now, we should let the listeners know that you and I are friends. And in addition okay. to that, at one time we were work colleagues. You were a team member of Human Inspiration Works, my lovely company. Um, so, Absolutely. but I'd be having you on the show regardless of that. And uh, <laughs> so, so, Renee, all right, let's. Um, so let's begin with this, okay? Cuz I'm going to guess that a lot of listeners first of all have some kind of a you know, more segmented view about the libra- libraries in general because there's such a revolution yeah. going on right now in the re- in the library world. And so why don't you talk about how libraries are way way different than they were even maybe 10 years ago? And then segue into your work, what you're doing around advocacy for people to have access.
2: Sure, absolutely. In fact, one of the libraries I used to work for, our mission was, and our vision was, libraries are so much more than books, and that could not be more true today. Um, So in public libraries, public libraries are institutions, places for all. Um, We've always been that way in our ideals, but we may not have always been that way in our practice. Um, You know, certainly looking at history, there are times where groups of people did not have equitable access to libraries. But now public libraries are places where people come to read, to talk, to connect. Well, not right now because we're in a pandemic, Um, but certainly prior to the pandemic, libraries are really community centers. They're community hubs where learning, creativity, and connection happen. In fact, those, those are the three pillars of Dakota County's mission at our libraries. And especially as me, as I'm a children's librarian, you know, children's libraries now are not quiet places. <laughs> Certainly there are quiet places for people to study, and we have so many people that come to study at public libraries and to work, and if they're self-employed, they come to libraries um, just to connect to the Internet. But children's libraries, especially, those are vibrant, alive places where kids are learning, they're creating, um, they're exploring, they're experimenting. Um, And and so they're really um, vital to communities, not only because they do connect people with the Internet. And right now in this pandemic, there is nothing more vital and foundational in our needs than the Internet to apply for jobs, to sign up for a COVID test. Um, but libraries are also the window to the world. You know, they provide people with information to learn, but also stories to learn about others. And so um, I got into libraries because I love people. Um, I didn't always know I wanted to be a librarian, um, but I, I, I've i always known I'm a, a people person. Every job I've ever had was a customer service, you know, serving food or, um, you know, paying at the pool to get let someone go down the slide. I love interacting with people, um, and that's where public libraries are. The people is at the heart of a public library's mission and vision. And so I was going to be a high school English teacher in the Milwaukee Public Schools. I went to Marquette University, which is a great um, university with a social justice background. I think a lot of what I've learned um, has that um, lens to it um, in equity. But then when I realized teaching wasn't for me, A friend said, you know, come to this information session, Renee. Um, It's a library school program in River Forest, Illinois. So it would be a graduate program. And, you know, see if this is something for you. And I felt like all of my background in English and literature and education, teaching, um, really um, propelled me for a world of libraries. And so um, I didn't look back. Um, I got my graduate degree at Dominican University in Illinois and I started working in libraries right away. In fact, the summer after I graduated Marquette, um, and it is one of every single day is a different day. It is one of the most exciting jobs, and um, I am I'm every day gratified and grateful um, in the in the work that I do.
0: Okay, so you've just given us a whole lot, but before we say anything else, you have heard me say this, and I think some of my listeners have said it that librarians are among my most favorite people. And the reason for that, Renee, is that you are the last absolute last keepers of the truth. You have the books, mm-hmm. okay, and I know that libraries are mm-hmm. far more than just you know, um, you know, physical books, but you yeah. have the words and you protect them. And I, I just think you're the, you're the, 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 protectors and the last bastion of democracy. I just need to throw that out there. Okay. But no, I love it. and I think
2: <laughs> we are. I agree with you.
0: <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, the, the, the thing about libraries is that They're kind of an equalizer. They're supposed to be an equalizer, right? I mean, you know, people are supposed, all people, regardless of where you are on the economic ladder, you're all supposed to get a library card, right? I mean, if, if that's the way the library operates, you know, and, and you're supposed to be all people, regardless of where you are on the ladder, are able, Mm -hmm. are supposed to be able to check out books, right? Mm -hmm. And to attend Mm -hmm. library events, right? Mm-hmm. In your experience, how is that shaken out?
2: Well, it's that difference between um, uh, theory and practice. You know, the American Library Association is our umbrella organization nationwide that informs and, and scopes our mission and, and our work. And one of the things that you touched on, Ellie, is that libraries are for all, no matter race, gender immigration status, all of those identities, that is the ideal of a public library. But the truth is, is that that might not always be the experience. Because just like any institution, a public library is, um, it is fallible. And so when we create public libraries, sometimes there's, you know, barriers that we're not always aware of. And so in my library experience, I first really came to know a little bit about these barriers in my first library job. Um, I was a children's librarian at Deerfield Public Library in Illinois, and I encountered a mother who said to me and my boss at the time, I would love to bring my child, my little boy, to the library for story time, but he has autism. He doesn't talk. He doesn't look like the other kids might look in the library. He might have different behaviors, and I don't feel comfortable bringing him to the library for story time because we have to be quiet and we have to sit still. What else can you do for for us, for our family? And that one interaction, that one moment of advocacy of that parent set me on a personal journey and a professional one down this course of equity in libraries. And I realized then and there in this affluent suburb of Chicagoland that there are people without or there are marginalized groups everywhere in our communities. We just may not necessarily see them. And we have to go about learning and expanding our awareness to understand why libraries are not um, accessible for everybody, and so I created a program called Sensory Storytime for kids with special needs and disabilities. And I went out to the special ed district, and I and I met the special ed teachers, and I learned about autism. I didn't learn about autism in library school, so you know, I, it was a lot of learning, and um, that started me in uh, learning and creating programs for people with disabilities in public libraries.
0: Okay. Well, and Renee, there's, a you know, I love it that we've gotten into the story and about how you be- started to become passionate and you, you idealist, you. Um, we're going to need to take a break, okay? But when we come back, I want the audience to hear more about library access and how you're being an advocate for that because you're going across the world for this. So you're not just like here in Minneapolis, you know, the, the Twin Cities, okay? We'll be back in a second. Listeners, if you like what you hear, visit my website at ellykrug.com. Email me at ellyjkrug at gmail. We will be back in a second. Thanks.
2: Hi, Alex of Better Futures, Minnesota. Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures, Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to betterfuturesminnesota.com under business services. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human be ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision. And
0: we're back on AM 950 Ellie 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here. I've been interviewing. We started out with Renee Grassi, who is uh, a librarian with the Dakota County uh, Library System that really kind of undersells her. She is a star of the library system at Dakota County as well as nationally because she is an advocate for. Access to all libraries, particularly f- access for people who have disabilities, people who are challenged in one way or another. So, Renee, you told the story before we took our break about you know meeting a, mo- uh, a mom in uh, Chicago Land who had a child with autism and felt uncomfortable about bringing the, the child in to the library you know, as it was. And then what you did is you went out and you educated yourself about autism. Uh, you created this program called Sensory Storytime. And then what that did is that launched you somehow. I mean, you found your calling in addition to being a librarian. And that launched you to becoming this worldwide, not just nationally, worldwide advocate for library access. Tell us about that, please
2: i mean that's a big intro ellie i'd like to think (laughs) that it it happened in small steps you know it was small choices that i made to help other people understand what i had come to learn you know in chicagoland area at the time there were not um, a lot of other libraries doing a lot specifically for kids with disabilities so as my program got on its feet And, you know, had full wait lists. You know, we started talking to people and saying, go to your library, ask for this program at your library. And what that in turn did, it it actually encouraged other youth librarians to reach out to me and ask me, how did you do this? Teach me. Um, Can I observe you in a program? And um, what ended up happening was me, along with a colleague of mine, created this networking group of youth librarians in the Chicagoland area where we got together on a quarterly basis and we shared what we learned. Um, We brought in community partners from the disability organizations and and actual people with disabilities to talk and to help us expand our awareness. And so from that on, you know, I, I took on a couple of managerial positions in libraries, overseeing youth services, where I got to then mentor and train directly youth librarians to do sensory story time for our department. So was no longer me doing it. And then all at the same time, I was writing. You know, Ellie, I know you're a writer, and, and I love that about you. You're such a great writer. And, and I love to write. Again, it's, it's a lot of my background. But I thought this was a way that I could help educate. You know, my educator, Bones, wants me to help um, share the knowledge that I've learned with others that may not have had this experience So I started writing um, blogs for the Association of Library Services to Children, and that's the dedicated organization through ALA and our umbrella organization for libraries nationally. And people across the country got to know my writing, learned through what I was writing, and I had some other opportunities to um, contribute to books and, you know, Eventually I found myself creating a website and you know you too Allie you are an educator um, You know, I just am inspired by this passion to help um, Expand other people's awareness and so it was through this website. I, I got um, a call a virtual call through my email um, from the uh, the US Embassy in Spain <laughs> and the consulate and they you know A lot of Americans don't know, but um, our consulates and embassies across the world, um, our educational institutions, they have public programming for um, the residents of that country, the locals, to learn about not just America, but all sorts of things, all sorts of topics. They had heard about me and about libraries, and they wanted to bring me in to talk about um, serving people with disabilities because in other countries like Spain, um, you know, disability is more of a stigma. It's not talked about as openly. I would say that's probably true here. We have a long right, way to go. Right, right, absolutely. So anyway, yep. yeah, I found my, myself in Spain and I'm talking to a bunch <laughs> of Spaniards um, about my work in libraries and how 3D printers can be used to create assistive technology for people with disabilities in libraries. It was just... Um, it's one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. And um, shortly thereafter, I was in Singapore for the International Library Federation Association. So that's like all of the library associations from all across the world. And wow. um, talking about the work at Dakota County and some of the other things that um, libraries have done.
0: Well, and so, uh, hey, Renee, could you in 30 or 45 seconds just describe what the sensory story time is? How does it work?
2: Yeah. um, So sensory story time is an opportunity for kids with disabilities to come to the library to read books, to sing songs, just like any other story time. But there are some additional supports and strategies that librarians use to help people with autism and their families um, navigate that story time in a structured way. So, someone with autism may really benefit from a visual schedule of all of the activities that we're doing in story time, you know, so they can anticipate what's coming next and that doesn't bring them anxiety, you know, so we have visual schedules, you know, we have lots of opportunities for movement so kids don't have to sit still, but really it's it's really just a mindset. I think about it as like, you know, you are your own person in this space and you are not judged for the noises you make or you walking around and and you're listening, like you can come as you are to story time and the library is going to provide that extra support and welcoming environment for you.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, um, thank you for that. Thanks for that explanation. It sounds, you know what, I mean, really what it is, it's about paying attention. And then being willing, yeah. being willing to use your imagination in some way that helps to be inclusive for other people. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you, you know, that that's what my work is. And so, I mean, this is why I'm just so um passionate about what you are doing, because it's just an extension of using your imagination to say, hey, it's a big tent and we want everybody in the tent. Uh Yeah. So, okay. But Renee, you know, you, I mean, you, you. You've got like a day job. You've got you, – you, you, know, you, you do social media for the uh, Dakota County uh, Library System. I, I mean you're exceedingly good at that. In fact, that's what you would help me with with my company. Tell me this, okay? How did you – what is there about you? How did you get to be so idealistic? I mean to make this thing a core of your identity –
2: you know, I was thinking about idealism a lot, especially coming up to today's conversation. And a lot of it has to do with worldview, how you see the world, how you see yourself in the world and in your potential, in your potential to make change. And I've always felt that I, I have something in me that wants to make change for good and wants to um, help other people. I'm a a people person. You know, Ellie, you and I got to talking and it's like we could never stop after you and I first met. Um, I I also think it has to do with my worldview. Growing up, um, I was fortunate to have two parents that had very broad, large worldviews. Um, My dad himself, he grew up in Italy went to American school, and also, you know, after school hung out with local Italians. Um, My mom and dad, after they met and got married, lived in um, Milan for about 10 years and traveled. Um, I have aunts and uncles that speak all sorts of languages. So I've always known um, that the world is big, that people have differences, but, but that those differences are are nothing that we can't surmount if we just get to know each other. Even language, you know. I love learning languages. I went to Japan, stopping over in Japan when I on my way to Singapore, and I really wanted to learn the language. Um, that was hard, but I did. And, and so I've always had this thirst for knowledge. I think I will always be a student of the world in that way. Um, and I think that that mm-hmm. shapes how I look at the world and and my place in it. I. Um, I'm not necessarily traditionally religious, but I feel like I, my purpose is through my work and, um, it brings me joy when, um, I can make positive impact on others.
0: Well, you know, in, and I'm a huge believer in the idea of curiosity. That is really Mm -hmm. what allows us to get past the things that cause people to be other in our world. I mean, if we're willing to be respectfully curious about other people and and respectfully ask questions and then share about ourselves it is that familiarity that is how we get past the barriers and Mm -hmm. um you know so now um renee if people want to read up okay about your work about the sensory story time or about, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, we did not talk about this as we prepared, whether your, your website is still up about your work. Help people to understand. How could they re- find out more about what you're doing and about the, the work that you have done?
2: Sure. Um, well, it is up still, uh, renegrassi.com. Um, there's nobody else with my name or not a lot of other people with my name, so I've got that domain. Um, and that's where I have a lot of my writings. Um, and it's also where other libraries and organizations reach out to me if they are interested in, um, in inviting me. You know, I'm doing a lot of virtual trainings now. Um, so renegrassi.com is where you can find me. Gra- I'm also uh, on Twitter as okay. well. Okay,
0: Grassi is G-R-A-S-S-I, right?
2: Yep, okay. R-E-N-E-E-G-R-A-S-S-I.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. All right, so in the last two minutes that we've got, okay – I'm just going to throw a loop for you, all right? And you didn't know this was coming. I
2: love a loop.
0: Drag queen reading hours. What do you think about those?
2: You know, um, you said earlier, public libraries are the last bastions of of our democracy. And our democracy is is founded in a lot of things, freedom of speech. um, And libraries look at that, and we call it intellectual freedom, the ability to read, whatever we want, and so um, libraries have taken that and really tried to think about, again, who is not welcome or unconsciously welcome at libraries? What outreach have we done to the LGBTQIA plus communities, and what can we do? St. Paul Public Library and others have done Drag Queen Storytimes, and I think they are a beautiful representation of... um, of what libraries can be when we are fully inclusive of all identities. And as someone personally who has a huge background in theater, um, I also know that there's a lot of theatricality to drag queens. And I also know that that really goes hand in hand with story time. We sometimes talk about how story time, you're not even really a story time librarian, You're, you're almost a performer. So I think there's a lot of alignment there. Um, But again, story time is a place where we learn about each other. We learn about ourselves. And through stories, you know, books can be windows and mirrors and sliding glass doors to each other. And drag queen story times are another way for families who opt into them um, to learn and accept and celebrate each other.
0: Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, Renee, our time has come to an end. I just want to thank you for being on LE 2.0 radio. I've, you know, you have warmed my heart. Just it's, you can feel the passion just come from the other side of the radio. I mean, it's just, and, and you are, I just want you to know, okay, you're very dear to me and I am so proud of you. Hopefully that's all right for me to say. Because you are going out there and you are rocking the world. And I am just so grateful that you are doing that in your way, the way you want to do it, and you're getting the recognition that you deserve for doing it.
2: Well, it it, it goes without saying I'm so grateful that our paths have crossed, Ellie. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it was through this work that I met you. I attended an equity training through the county and that's how our paths crossed. So, um, I, I love your show. Thank you for having me. It's been a, a joy and a pleasure, and um I will continue to keep learning from you as well.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, it's reciprocal. Okay. Well, thanks for being on the show, uh, listeners. That's Renee Grassi. Go and check her out at re- com and see her work. Um Go uh, to the Dakota County Library System, and also you can see her work. All right, when we come back from our break, I'm going to do my C-block and talk to you a little bit um, about what's going on with transgender humans in America. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug, one of the relatively few transgender radio hosts in the world. Bye-bye.
1: Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the reuse warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood. From our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM as in Better Futures Minnesota.com.
0: Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online, so every Everyone can attend, regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to EllieKrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you.
2: I inside you.
0: And we're back on AM nine fifty. Ellie Krug here. Um, okay, Renee Grassi. Listen, I love having young, passionate, vibrant idealists on this show. Frankly, they are the future. They are the ones that are going to get America (laughs) to finally be great again. (laughs) Okay, we're in my C block here, and um, I want to talk now to talking about, turn now to talking about transgender humans, a community that I'm part of. As I think most all of you know, Um, it's a mixed bag at the moment for my community. Uh, The good news is that President Biden has signed an executive order ending – he just did this this week – ending former President Trump's ban on transgender people serving in the military. Uh, The order calls for a progress report from the military in about 60 days on how they're carrying out President Biden's order to now allow transgender service members to serve. And and to sign up to go into the military if they've been on the you know been waiting for the ban to be lifted so that is a wonderful thing. Um, second, good thing that happened: President Biden also signed a separate executive order directing federal agencies to comply with the Supreme Court ruling from last summer uh, that uh, defines sex to include protections for transgender people. So this means, among other things, that the Department of Education will again be telling schools that they have to protect transgender students. Very, very important. All of that is good, what I just laid out for you. and uh, But it's, re- of course, reigniting culture wars. Um, and, of course, there's going to be a backlash. On the not-so-good front is what's happening in many states to marginalize transgender people, but particularly tra- younger transgender people. People... Um, younger than 21. As a, as of a week ago, according to the American Civil Liberties Union, here's the story. Eleven states, as of a week ago, 11 states were considering legislation to prohibit doctors or nurses or therapists from treating transgender kids under age 18. Um, Ten states were excluding uh, – had legislation pending to exclude transgender students from sports. Um and then there were a host of other of other bills. None of this is random. Um, there's a conservative right wing organization called the Alliance Defending Freedom that has created templates for this legislation. So the way it works is the Alliance Defending Freedom creates templates, you know, like pattern legislation. All you have to do is plug in the name of the state, and what they do is they court legis- conservative uh, legislators from various states. They 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 take them. They send them to conferences. They pay for it. And then the uh, the legislators uh, from these various states get together at these conferences. Um, the Alliance uh, Defending Freedom puts on these seminars where transgender people are marginalized and the subject of great ridicule. And then the legislators are given the templates to take back to their states to introduce the legislation now. Why you know you may not have heard of the Alliance Defending for Freedom, but you might have heard of an attorney who's in the past been identified as an ally attorney to the Alliance Defending Freedom, and her name is Jenna Ellis. Um, you may remember that name because she was part of that super duper post twenty twenty election super duper Trump legal team headed by Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, so you get an idea. And the way that this works is once the you know the legislation goes back into the states, and then these legislators introduce the legislation, then that becomes a rallying cry. That's how you you know you kind of gin up the base. Um, you know, hey, we're you know we've got to protect these kids from transgender influence, and and particularly with doctors and nurses and therapists. I mean, we do not want to al- allow them to get the help that they need because it'll all go away. That's the, that is absolutely the thinking that if you are a 13-year-old transgender, you know, um, uh, assigned male at birth but, but th- believing that you are female and, 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 and it's called gender dysphoria, having these horrible thoughts about, you know, that your brain doesn't match your body and, oh, my God, you know, I don't know if I can go through my life like this. These folks believe all of that will go away as people grow older and get out of it, you know, they, they'll grow out of it. I am here to tell you that does not go away. It just gets worse. And you suffer far greater when you don't get the help early. So, and then, of course, there's, you know, there's fundraising off of this. So, you know, like the Minnesota Family Council, go to their website, you'll see there's no legislation pending in Minnesota, thankfully, but there's still fundraising off of transgender people. Help us, you know, to do our part to keep, you know, transgender influence out of the schools. Okay, I've run out of time. That's the way it is for my world right now, my community. i got to give a big thanks to my uh, 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 producer here, Brett Johnson. A big thanks to what is my last sponsor, um, Better Futures Minnesota. And a big thanks to you, my audience, um, for tuning in. I hope you like this Saturday time slot. I'm uh, I, It's a challenge for me, but we're making it work. It's all making, you know, this is working. And uh, I'm appreciative of you and... and And I hope you're enjoying the stories. So here's what I ask you to do. Go out. Be good to a human or group of humans. And next week, hey, you email me, ljkrug at gmail.com. Let me know you did that. I'll be back next week with more about how humans can be good to humans. Take care. Bye.